You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called In the Heights, based on the New Testament book of Colossians. And let me just remind you of our theme for this series, which is really the goal for this series. Here's what we're talking about. A higher view of Jesus for a new perspective on life, a fresh perspective on life. Can I just encourage you today, church? I'm so glad you're here today because no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I have one thing that'll help you wherever you are in life, and that is to get your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Come on, our world is out of control right now, but I want to tell you, we trust in the one who's got the world in his hands. Come on, he's got the whole world in his hands. Church, he's got us. We're going to keep our eyes on him. And that's what we're really after in this series because that's what the book of Colossians is all about. It's all about having a higher view of who Jesus is. And so we're reading through the book of Colossians together. It's this tiny little epistle, what we call an epistle, a letter uh, in the New Testament. And so each week we're reading together. I want to invite you to read with us. So your homework assignment for this week is to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, okay? Some of you are overachievers. You've already read the whole book of Colossians. That's great. But if you're just kind of pacing yourself and reading along with us to keep pace Read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, because we're going to be getting into those verses soon. I hope you're enjoying your reading with us. Today, we're going to focus on Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Let me just set this up for you, okay? Paul is writing this letter to this group of Roman Christians living in a Roman city, Colossae, and he's encouraging them. And so far, what he's mostly focused on in his letter up until this point is who Christ is. If you've been here for the past few weeks, we've talked about like getting our eyes on who Jesus is. He's the son of God, not just another teacher, not just a great prophet, but he's the son of God. He was present at creation. He's over creation, right? He's in charge of the cosmos. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about he's Christ in you, right? Not only the God of all creation, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, when we get to the verses we're going to look at today in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul starts to make a little shift. He shifts from just talking about who Jesus is to who we are in light of who Jesus is. Like, he wants to remind the Colossians, and I believe by the Holy Spirit, remind us today, because the Holy Spirit preserved this letter for us thousands of years later, and there's truth in it for us. He wants to remind us of who we are in light of of all that Jesus has done and who Christ is. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Do we have any Disney fans in the house? Any Disney fans? Any Lion King fans in the house? One of the favorites, yeah, of all time. Now, you know the story, but let me just remind you, right? Simba is the prince of of the kingdom, right, of the the Lion Kingdom. And, uh, of course, uh, his father, Mufasa, gets killed by Simba's evil uncle, Scar. And Scar manipulates Simba and causes him to believe that it was his fault, right? So Simba runs away, and poor Simba has an identity crisis, right? He forgets who he is, and he's kind of hanging out in the jungle, Hakuna Matata, you know, doing his thing. But then he has this moment where his father's spirit appears to him. Do you remember this scene? And he, he, he appears to Simba, and what does he say? Remember who you are. I wish I had like that deep of a voice. But he says, remember who you are. Church, I, I want to help you today. You got to remember who you are. See, Simba had a little moment where he snaps out of it and he goes back and he takes his rightful place like in the kingdom. I think Paul would say to us today and he would say to the Colossians, you got to remember who you are. So here's, yeah, here's the picture. 
Here, here's the idea today, and you can put this in your notes, all right? Here's the idea we want to go after today. Reclaiming your true identity starts with remembering who you are in Christ. Come on, we don't want to be stuck in some identity crisis. We don't want to just be drifting. We want to remember exactly who we are in Christ so we can live in the reality of that. So I want to give you three truths today that you need to remember about who you are in Christ. This is a great opportunity to take some notes, open up the Redemption app, take some notes. If you don't have the app, you can get it from our website. Three truths we need to remember about who we are in Christ. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, you live in Christ. Paul reminds the Colossians, Paul reminds us, you live in Christ. Look at this, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Like, you live in Christ. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, you live in in Christ. you got to remember who you are in him. Remember the source of life. Now, hold that thought for a minute. How many of you guys have seen those posts on social media, how it started, how it's going? Have you seen posts like that? You know, somebody puts a picture up of their wedding day, how it started, and then like 10 years later, how it's going, like three kids in my crazy life, right? I actually put a picture up this week. I did one of these social posts um, related to the building, how it started. Go ahead, guys. Put the how it started picture. That's how it started when our space was just an art storage space with shelves everywhere. And here's how it's going. I like how it's going a lot better. Come on, somebody. I like how it's going. Yeah. How it started. How it's going. We had to have a lot of vision for, for this space, right? But here's the idea. If you feel like your relationship with God isn't going so well right now, if you feel like you're not as close to him like you used to be, if you feel like, you know, you find yourself wondering sometimes, is this faith thing even working for me? I think Paul would say to us, you got to go back to how it started. Go back to how it started. Paul says, just as you received Christ, live in him. How? Live in him just as you received him. Remain in him. And how did you receive him? Church, you were saved by his grace. Come on, how many of you know you weren't saved by being a good person, by your good works, by your striving to be a good, moral, upright person? Like, you were saved by his grace. You got rescued. You got rescued. Speaking of rescue, can you imagine, uh, imagine being rescued from a shipwreck, like, let's say the Titanic, right, the most famous shipwreck of all time. We can all picture Kate Wislet and, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio floating on an iceberg or something. But picture yourself being rescued from, like, the, the Titanic, and you're on a lifeboat, right? And, and you get away from the ship, and after a while you've been rowing, and you feel really safe, and you decide, hey, I'm good now, I'm out of danger, I'm going to just go ahead and jump out of the boat and swim from here on out. Everybody in the boat would say, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Like, you're going to drown, you're going to freeze to death or something. Like, you gotta, you got to stay in the boat. Church, Paul is saying Jesus Christ is the lifeboat. He's the only way you're going to make it. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the one who rescued you. The only way you're going to live this Christian life, the only way you're going to have any success in your walk with God is to stay in him. you got to stay in him. can't jump ship. You, you got to go back to how it started. And so how do we continue to live in Christ? Paul gives us three quick ideas here in, in the text in verse 15. First of all, he says, stay, stay rooted and built up in him. you got to stay rooted and built up in him. Like Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is, he's, he's the soil, right? He's the soil for your roots. If you're not rooted in him, like your soul is going to dry up and wither and die, just like a plant that's not rooted in the soil. 
How many of you know, like, if a plant doesn't have strong roots, if it's not watered well, right, if the roots aren't healthy, the, the plant's going to dry up and, and die. And so you got to stay rooted in him. you got to stay connected to his presence. Come on, you got to be in, in the word of God. we gotta, we got to be in the presence of God. We need to worship. We need to stay prayed up. I'm going to tell you that nothing will change your day like putting some worship music on around the house or at, at work. I had one of those days like that this, this past week, a couple days like that, where I just had to put my AirPods on and put some worship music on, and it changed my day. Stay connected to his presence and stay connected to his people. I'm so glad you're, you're here today. I'm so glad you're tuned in online, but I'm so glad so many of you are here in person today because you recognize the value of like being connected with other believers. You got to stay rooted. Then Paul says, stay strong in the faith. He says, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Not only are we going to stay rooted, we're going to stay strong in the faith. And look at this, as you were taught. In other words, he's saying to the Colossians, you got to hold on to the truth of the gospel as it was passed on to you. Now, we've been talking about this in this series, how truth in our culture has become very relative, hasn't it? There's this sense of like, speak your truth. I have my truth, and you have your truth. Well, what is truth if you have yours and I have mine? Like, it's really become relative, right? And the idea is like, whatever we believe, right? Truth has become whatever we believe. Like Pastor Dave said last week, as long as you're sincere. <laughs> whatever you believe. And see, if we're not careful, we can tend to disregard the parts of Scripture and faith that we don't like. Because if we're honest, there's sometimes we read things in Scripture like, oh, I'm not sure I like that. I don't know if I want to do that. And in this culture where truth is relative, we can end up like reading the culture into Scripture instead of allowing Scripture to, to critique the culture around us. Are you with me? we got to stay rooted in the faith as it was passed on to us. Make no mistake, we might be a contemporary church in style, but we're rooted in orthodoxy. We may not confess the Christian creeds every week, but we believe in the historic Christian faith. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross for your sins, died in your place, that he was in a grave for three days, and he resurrected to give you new life, and he's going to come back one day. Can I get an amen? Somebody. We're holding on to the truth of what the church has believed for 2,000 years. We're not jumping ship. We're not jumping ship. We're holding on. We're staying strong in the faith that was passed down to us. And then Paul gives us a third idea. He says, stay filled with gratitude. Not only do you need to stay rooted, built up in faith, but stay rooted in gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. You know, I've learned in my relationship with God over the years to pay attention to my gratitude. Can I give you a spiritual gauge to pay attention to today to, to kind of measure where you're at in your walk with, with Christ, your walk with God? Pay attention to the gauge of your gratitude because really worship at its core, worship in its essence is a response of gratitude for all that God has done, for who he is. That's what worship really is. And when I say worship, I don't just mean something we do on Sunday mornings. I mean the way we live our lives. It's a response of obedience. It's an act of, of gratitude to God for who, for who he is. And so if you find yourself like in a rut where it's all obligation, you know, oh, I have to go to church. I have to pray. Do I have to give in the offering? No, no, no. You don't have to. You get to. Come on. He rescued us. We're only here because he saved us by his grace. So pay attention to that. When you slip into obligation, it's time to start practicing gratitude. And here's the beautiful thing about gratitude. You can practice it. Come on, you can practice it. When you find yourself kind of in those, those, that place of like negative vibes, you can just begin to give thanks for his goodness. I'm telling you, I do this. I, I practice what I preach. When I get in those ruts, I begin to recount the faithfulness and the goodness of God. It'll change your heart. It'll renew your mind. So that's point number one. 
you got to remember that you live in him. Here's the second thing. We're talking about three truths to remember about who we are in Christ, right? We want to remember all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus. We want to live in light of it. We don't want to have spiritual amnesia. We don't want to be walking around in an identity crisis like Simba. We want to remember who we are. Point number two is this. You're complete in Christ. You're complete in Christ. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 2, 8 through 10, verses 8 through 10. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. There it is. You're complete in Christ. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul reminds the Colossians, there's nothing out there that you need. There's nothing that you need besides Jesus. Like you have everything you need to be everything he's called you to be. You're complete in Christ. Church, we need to remember that. And I want you to look at this in verse 8. He warns the Colossians about a deceptive philosophy. If you remember, we've said in, in previous messages that the reason Paul is writing this letter is that these Colossian Christians, they were being influenced by some outside forces, right, that were causing them to have questions about their faith, to particularly ask the question, like, is Jesus Christ enough? Is Jesus Christ sufficient? And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them, and I believe by the Holy Spirit, to encourage us today. And so here's the idea, church. I want you to know this. We're all being influenced by some philosophy. Come on. It may not be the same as the Colossians. In fact, scholars don't even agree what exactly this philosophy was. We just know there was some outside influence. Every one of us, we're all being influenced by some line of thinking. And I know for some of you it's easy to think, oh, no, pastor, not me. Nothing is influencing me. I'm like, I'm, I'm in control. I'm making my own decisions to live my best life. I'm not one of those people. I'm not a sheep. I'm in charge of my thinking. Nobody's doing my, my thinking for me. Nobody's influencing me. Let me just tell you, something is always competing to influence your mind and, and your heart. For some of you, it's the, it's the need for love and approval that, that drives you. For some of you, you're, you're, you're being influenced by anxiety or fear or maybe it's the desire for money or success or you're comparing yourself to other people and you don't even recognize the influence it has over your life. I want you to know this morning, church, if God isn't ruling over you, something else is. Come on, something's always competing to influence your heart, to influence your mind. We're either under the influence of this fallen world or we're under the influence of Jesus Christ. Take this seriously because I'm telling you, I think there are times that, that the influence of this fallen world seeps into our hearts and minds and we don't even realize it. And every now and then we need a little reality check to just, to, to just get in touch with what exactly is influencing my choices, my priorities, right? The, the, the things that I'm doing with my life. Be careful what voices you allow to influence your life. Paul says you've already got everything you need in Christ Jesus. Everything you need. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, God lives, right? Like God lives in flesh and blood in Jesus. Verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Now, I want you to follow the pattern here, okay? It's, he, here's what Paul says. The fullness of God lives in Jesus Christ. This is what we call the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at Christmas every year, right? That God took on flesh and blood when he came to this earth, right? When he allowed himself to come into the confines of space and time, he took on flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul says all of the deity, Jesus was fully God and fully man. The church has believed that for 2,000 years. He says the fullness of God lives in Jesus and Jesus lives in you, 
Therefore, the fullness of God lives in you. Did you follow that? It's called the transitive property in math. I'm an English major. Some of you are better at math than me. If the fullness of God lives in Jesus and Jesus lives in you, how many of you know that means you got the fullness of God? Like you got everything you need to be everything he called you to be. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so here's the point. You have all the completeness you need in Christ alone. Like you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else to make you complete. It's, it's not Christ plus uh, your good works. It's not Christ plus you striving to be a really good moral person. It's not Christ plus your perfect church attendance, although I wish some of you would come more often. I'm just saying it would do your soul good. It's not Christ plus anything else. It's Christ alone. Let me give you a simple equation that I know you can remember today. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Come on, church. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we are surrounded by people who are striving with their whole lives to get everything. And so many people get to the end of their lives and they were going after everything and they realized they have nothing because how many of you know you can't take it with you? But if you get to the end of your life and you've got nothing, but you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Because he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? Church, if you got Jesus, you got everything you need. Can I get an amen, somebody? Uh, some of you have been at a place in life before where you felt like you had nothing. I've been in seasons of life where I, I felt like I had nothing. But I'm telling you, if you have Jesus, you got everything you need. If he really is who we profess to believe he is, who we, the songs that we sing about him and what we say we believe, if you have the son of God in your life, then you're, you're complete in him. And then in verses 11 and 12, Paul gives us two word pictures to help us unpack this and understand this. The first picture is circumcision, and the second one is is baptism, okay? So let's look at the first one. If you don't know what circumcision is, Google it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. What does that mean, circumcised by Christ? Well, this this is a word picture of what Christ did for us on the cross, In other words, Jesus took the scar in his flesh. He took the punishment in his flesh on the cross for your behalf. So let's talk about this, okay? First of all, you have to know that circumcision was the sign that God gave to Abraham to represent his covenant with him. If you remember, Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He was the father of the children of Israel. In Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised land, right? In you, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then he gave him this symbol of the covenant, and that is that every Jewish male on the eighth day after his birth was to be circumcised, right? Each Jewish male represented their family. It was a male-dominated culture. So all the men had to be circumcised. So for a Jewish man in Paul's time, this was the identity badge. This was like your way of proving that you were a member of God's people, a member of God's chosen people. Now, men, let me just ask you today, aren't you glad that we don't make you do this? Like when you go to growth track and you sign up for membership, we don't get to the end and say, okay, now it's time to go to the operating table. Can I get an amen? Come on, man. Ouch, right? Like, aren't you glad? We don't do this anymore. Like we're living in the new, the new covenant. Come on. There should have been a stronger amen from some of the guys in this place. The problem, here's the idea that Paul's trying to convey. The problem with circumcision is that you have, uh, is that you can have an outward mark of your religious status and still not be changed on the inside. 
You can have an outward mark of your religious status and still be uncircumcised, uncommitted, uncovenanted in, in, your, in your heart, right? Paul tells us in, in the book of Romans that true circumcision is spiritual circumcision, and it's actually something that happens in, in your heart. It's not about outward conformity. It's about inward transformation. Let me say that again this morning, church. It's not about outward conformity. It's about inward transformation because some of you grew up in a church tradition where it was all about obligation. It was about going to church on holy days. It was about a guilt trip. It was about, I have to do this. It was about, I have to talk the Christian talk. I have to only listen to Christian music and put the Christian bumper sticker on my car. And it comes in all different flavors. But many of you come from a background where it was all about outward conformity, but there was no inner transformation. Can I help you this morning, church? God doesn't want your outward religiousness. What he wants is your heart. He wants to change you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus came to do, to mark your heart to change you. That's where the power lives. It's not outward striving. It's what he does in you from the inside out so that you want to do the things that God wants you to do. You, you, you want to love the things that he wants you to love. And then Paul gives us another word picture in Colossians 2 verse 12. This is baptism. So the first one's circumcision, then baptism. Here's what he says. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And so this is baptism. This is what baptism signifies, right? In baptism, we go into the waters, we're immersed, we come out of the waters. This is a picture of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. When we get baptized, we go into the water. That, that symbolizes going down into the grave, dying to our old self, dying to our sinful nature with Christ, and then being raised out of that water, not just washed, but raised to new life in him. And so Paul gives us this picture of, of baptism. And here's the idea. Here, here's what he's saying to the Colossians and to us. He's saying the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that you have on the inside of you. And if you ever really believe that, it would change your life. If you ever really got a hold of that truth, it would renew your mind. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead by his spirit is the same power that you have. Church, I want to help you today. You have everything you need in Christ to be everything he called you to be. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You are complete in him. I don't care what somebody said about you. I don't care how bad you messed up in the past. I don't care how short you fall when you compare yourself to other people who you think are more spiritual than you. Hear me out today. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. You're complete in him. You're complete in him. You're complete in him. And then point three, here, here it is. We're talking about three things we need to remember, right? We're reclaiming our identity today. We want to remember who we are in Christ. Sometimes it just starts with going back to how it started, going back to the beginning. Number three, you're forgiven in Christ. Not only do you live in him, you're sustained in him. Not only, not only um, are you complete in him, but number three, you're forgiven in Christ. Look at verses 13 through 15. Here's what Paul says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, remember he's writing to a mostly Gentile church. They weren't Jewish people who had been circumcised. They, they came into the people of God through Jesus Christ, through the new covenant. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. There it is. You're forgiven in Christ. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against you and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by 
the cross. You're forgiven in Christ. Okay, so Paul starts off and he says, you were dead in your sins, right? Spiritually, you were dead, but God, by his grace, made you alive in Christ. So we're connecting point three with point one, right? We go back to the beginning. How did it start? How were you sustained? You, you live in him, and how did that happen? Paul begins to explain that in verses 13 and 14. He says, here's how it happened. You got forgiven of your sins. You're, you got forgiven of the thing that brought the curse of death into your life. He forgave us. Look at this. He forgave us all our sins, verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Now, Paul uses a brilliant analogy here. When Jesus forgave you of your sins, here's what Paul says, it's like he canceled an IOU. It's like he canceled a legal, like financial debt. He canceled a debt. The word charge here, when he says that, that, that Jesus has canceled the, the charge of our legal indebtedness, the, the word charge here, it comes from the Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. It comes from a really great Greek word, and here it is. It's chirographon. Chirographon, which means a handwritten certificate of debt. Literally, it's like you sign the bill saying that I owe you. I'm acknowledging that, that I owe this bill. Okay, so let me give you a modern-day example of a chirographon, okay? And it happens to be this little piece of plastic that most of us carry around to live in this digital world, right, with digital money. It's our credit cards. This is a, a modern-day chirographon. In, in the fine print on your credit card application, when you applied for that credit card, you agreed to pay for the goods and services that you charge in that card, right? You agreed to pay whatever bank issued that credit card, you agreed to pay them back. Often when you swipe that card or you tap that card in the fine print of that purchase, you are agreeing by swiping that card to pay the bank back for those goods and in those services, right? That is an IOU. That's a picture of an IOU. Now, here's the thing. What happens when you can't pay the bill? If you can't pay the bill or, or on time, you're in trouble, right? Like you enjoy the shopping spree, but after the shopping spree comes the statement when the bill is due. If you can't pay the bill or you can't pay it on time, there's a penalty, isn't there, right? You get a fee or maybe your interest rate goes up. There's a penalty when you can't pay the bill. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we racked up a debt that we could never pay for. We racked up a sin debt that we maxed ourselves out. We maxed out our card and we couldn't pay for it. And so we're in trouble. And how many of you know if you stack up enough undebt, uh, unpaid debt, you end up in bankruptcy? Anybody know this, right? Basic finances here, right? Basic financial truths. Here's what Paul says. Paul says we were in spiritual bankruptcy and the penalty for our unpaid debt, our unpaid sins, is death. Paul says it this way in Romans, the wages of sin is death, right? The results of your unpaid sin debt is, is death. Now, for most of us, we know this is true. If you can't pay your credit card, the bank is probably not going to kill you. Thank God for that, right? So let's use a little more New York-based metaphor here to help you out. We live in the New York City area. If you borrow money from the Godfather, come on, somebody, and you can't afford to pay the Godfather back, right? What's going to happen to you? He's going to make you a deal you can't refuse, right? Like you're going to sleep with the fish. Yeah. That's why it's always good to have a few Italian friends when you live in New York. I'm just saying. I made sure. I always keep a few Italian friends living here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, we get this, right? So here, here's the deal. The penalty of, of our sin, of our unpaid debt, it is death. But here's the good news, church. Here's what Paul says. 
Paul says, Jesus canceled your debt on the cross so that your sin debt goes from default to paid in full. Come on, you go from spiritual bankruptcy to paid in full. Your debt is wiped out because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's a good point to say amen. Like your your debt is cleared, it's paid in full. And then it gets even better than that. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, he has taken it away. He's taken your sins away. He's taken your debt away, nailing it to the cross. Now, when the Romans crucified someone, besides nailing that person up on the cross, which was awful, they nailed up a list of the charges that that person, the offenses that that person committed against the state. So if you murdered someone, maybe they put a sign saying that you were a murderer. If you were a thief, they put a sign up there saying you were a thief. If you remember from the story, Pontius Pilate put a sign up for Jesus that said King of the Jews, right? We know there was a bit of prophetic irony there because Jesus was the King of the Jews, but Pilate put that sign up there as a charge against Jesus. Here's what Paul says. Jesus took the list of your sins. Come on, the list of your sins that you would never want want read in public, that you would be ashamed and humiliated, your sexual sins, your unforgiveness, the way you mistreated someone, the bitterness that you harbored in your heart, that time you were dishonest with someone, that time you weren't completely honest when you did business with someone. Come on, the list of things that none of us, the laundry list of things that none of us would ever want read in public. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus didn't just forgive you. He took that, li- that list of things that accuses you and he nailed them to the cross so that your sins no longer define you. It's not even who you are anymore. It's not even who you are anymore. And then it gets better. Come on, it gets even better than that. Look at verse 15. If you thought the Bible was boring, you got to start reading it more. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does this mean? Let me remind you, Paul's writing to the Colossians, right? These, these people living in a, in a Greco-Roman world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There were all kind of gods back then, right? You had the Greek mythology gods. That was one layer of gods. Then you had all the Roman pantheon of gods. Then you had all these secret mystery cults and philosophies. I mean, they, they it was a crazy religious world. They were crazy superstitious in the Roman world. So they understood this, powers and authorities. This made sense to them. And here's what Paul says. Jesus literally disarmed any, any evil force of darkness that would come against you. And he made a public spectacle of them on the cross. Now, see, the Romans would have gotten this right away. Because you know what the Roman generals would do? When they were, when they were victorious... Maybe they were fighting some battle in some far-flung part of the, of the Roman Empire. They would come back and they would parade the conquered people through the streets of Rome and make a public spectacle of them to display their power. That's literally the imagery that, that Paul's using here. And the Colossians would have got that. Like Jesus literally took everything that's against you and he disarmed it. He made a public spectacle of it. So how do we relate to this idea of powers and authority as, as modern-day people? Well, here's the simple idea of power and authority. Power and authorities would be anything that would try to win power over your life. Anything that's competing to influence you, like we talked about before. Anything that would try to win power over your life. Maybe some false teaching. Maybe some false belief about who God is and the way he is in this this world, his character. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a manipulative person who would get in your life and manipulate you. Maybe it's a political conspiracy. Like anything that would attempt to dominate your life. And sadly, I see this happening to Christians. I see Christians getting caught up in the toxicity of our culture. I see Christians getting caught up in the fear-mongering that's out there, like almost depressed. And I want to say snap 
step out of it because what we're facing right now, it's nothing compared to what the Colossians were facing and they got their eyes on Jesus and they turned the Roman Empire upside down. Come on, here's what Paul is saying. Jesus rendered all of those things as powerless. He exposed them. He exposed them as posers. Come on, how many of you know this term, posers, right? When something poses and you find out it's really not what, what it pretended itself to be. Here's what Paul says. God, God has shown those things to be powerless over your life. And, and this is really the secret wisdom of the cross. The secret wisdom of the cross. You know, when Jesus was hanging on that cross naked and beaten and bruised and weak, it seemed like he was powerless, didn't it? It seemed like for just a moment that the Roman Empire who put him up on that cross had all the power. It seemed like the religious leaders who accused Jesus who put him on that cross had all of the power. For just a moment, it seemed like darkness was winning and it had all of the power. But how many of you know on the cross, Jesus was doing something secretive? He was breaking the power of sin. He was breaking the power of death. He was breaking the power of darkness. Come on, it's the secret wisdom of the cross. Jesus by his victory on the cross, by his resurrection, has broken the power of sin, death, hell, the grave, fear, anxiety, worry, anything that would come upon your mind and your heart that would try to rule and dominate your life and your thoughts. And so here's the idea today, church. If Jesus truly resurrected from the dead, like we profess he has and we profess to believe he has, if Jesus truly resurrected from the dead, then what power does anything else in your life really have over you have over you unless you allow it to have power in your mind come on I want you to think about that today if Jesus really did everything that we just talked about what power does any, anything really have over your life unless you allow it to have power in your mind over your life let me just tell you your past doesn't have to have power over you that addiction that you've been wrestling with does not have to have power over you that voice in your head that tells you you'll never measure up doesn't have to have power over you comparison to others that always leaves you feeling inadequate doesn't have to have power over you even the fear of death itself doesn't have to have power over you because Jesus has defeated death. He has exposed anything that would try to rule over your heart and your mind as powerless. Church, let me put it to you this way. There's no power over you that's greater than the power of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. Somebody needs to take a picture of that today. Somebody needs to meditate on that this week. If you really ever truly believed the power of the gospel, if you ever really truly believe that there's a power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, it would renew your mind. It would strengthen your heart. It would give you courage to go through what you're going through. It, it, would, it, would, it would shout down some of the voices in your life that are competing for your attention, for your heart, for your mind, for your priorities. There's no power over you that's greater than the power of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. Come on, church. It's time to remember who you are in Christ. It's time to come back home. It's time to, to snap out of the identity crisis. Some of you need to reclaim who you are in him. Church, I want to tell you today, you find your true identity in Christ alone. Not on how much money you make, not on your position, not on how big of a house that you live in, not, at the, and not in all these things that the world around us finds, you know, it's, it's chasing after you. Find your identity in Christ alone. Let me just tell you today, if you have Jesus, you've got everything. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything got everything you need. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You got everything you need to be everything he's called you to be. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning. We're going to pray into this. Church online, I want you to stay locked in. Pray with us right now, wherever you're watching right now. 
Stand with me. Come on, how many of you want this? How many of you want to come back to your true identity? How many of you want to be reminded of who you are? So tired of forgetting, so tired of drifting, so tired of going through the week and forgetting who we are in you. God, we want your voice, right? God, we want your voice in our hearts. Jesus, we want you alive on the inside of us. If you want that, would you you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word that brings life to us today. God, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you're bringing us back to our true identity today. God, you're reminding us of who you are. Jesus, you're reminding us of all that you've done for us, and you're calling us to live in light of your goodness and your love and your power today. Lord, we go back to how it started. We only got here in the first place because you saved us by your grace. We didn't do anything to deserve you, and so we want to live by your grace. God, thank you for reminding us today that we're complete in you. I pray for the person in this place who struggled with their self-worth, who struggled with their dignity. I pray for the person in this place who had voices over their life that told them they weren't enough. I thank you that today in Christ Jesus, you say to them, they are enough in you. They're complete. They're whole in you. Sons, daughters, forgiven and whole. Jesus, we thank you that our sins no longer define us. Our past no longer defines us. But we are who you say we are. Remind us of who we are today. Let us live in it. Now, Father, I pray for the person who feels far away from you today, the person who, even as they hear me preaching, would say, I want to know, I want to know God that way. I want to have a relationship with him. If that's you, we believe God is drawing you to himself today. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I follow you today. Come on, Jesus, I choose to follow you today. Pray this with me. I believe you are who you said you are, the son of God, that you live for me, that you died for me, you resurrected to give me new life. Pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins and I turn toward you. I place my faith in you today. Make me new. Make me new. Make me new. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer. I thank you that the old is gone. Whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That we're sons and daughters born again, never the same. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.